This is episode number 144, Being Brave with Professional Equestrian Emily Hamill. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about how to live a high-performance life, spanning the categories of mindset, plant-based nutrition, inspiring stories, and sports science to help you be better every day. You've talked about this before on one of your shows about thought labeling. That helps me. If I make a mistake on course and I just go, okay, mistake, and then I try to let that go and move on to the next you really have to stay present. If you're stuck with what you did wrong earlier, you're just not going to ride well in the moment. Thank you so much for listening to the show and hanging out with me today. And it's because of you guys. It's because of the reviews. It's because of sharing the show with your friends that we are one of the top ranked shows in the world in motivation. So Thank you so much for being a part of this awesome journey. And I hope to continue to bring really fun guests and help us all continue our journey learning and being the best person we can be. Shout out and thank you to those of you who are supporting my work financially on Patreon, which is a site where you can kick a few bucks to the show to help cover costs, pay some staff and keep things rolling. And your Patreon dollars have also helped me upgrade equipment. So thank you so much. I couldn't do it without you. And that's patreon.com slash the Sonia Looney show. And there's a link in the show notes if you'd like to support my work there. I've been traveling a bit less this fall, which has been really awesome because I've been a lot more productive with a lot of things that I want to produce. The podcast is one, but I also have a ebook that I'm finishing up that will be available for free on my website. And it's kind of a teaser for my bigger book that I'm working on writing. And I also just finished the ultimate guide to tire tread and how to pick out mountain bike tires. And that's going to be published any day now. I'm just making sure it looks good and also making sure that I didn't say anything wrong because I'm still learning about all the ins and outs of how tires actually work. So if you want in on that, make sure that you're signed up for my newsletter. That's sonyalooney.com slash newsletter. I never spam you guys, but I do send out one email per week that has the podcasts that were released and also anything like the tire guide or any new articles that you might be interested in. All right, so let's get into today's awesome guest, Emily Hamill. And just so you know, cyclists are not the only riders out there. In fact, I was excited to receive an email from one of our fellow podcast listeners, and it wasn't what I was expecting. The email was from a professional equestrian named Emily Hamill. She sent me a photo of herself wearing one of the Moxie and Grit jerseys on her horse. Yes, Moxie and Grit jerseys. And if you're not familiar with Moxie and Grit, it's my apparel brand, and we still have cycling jerseys, both short sleeve and baggy three-quarter sleeve and socks available at moxieandgrit.com. That's M-O-X-Y-A-N-D-G-R-I-T.com. And it was so fun to see her wearing that on her horse. And she said that she loved it and it was really functional for horseback riding as well. And I also learned that she's a fellow vegan, that she loves sports psychology and mindset, which has brought her to listen to the show in the first place. And she's pretty much a badass. She is a professional rider in three-day eventing, which is basically a horse triathlon with different types of events each day. It's like a horse stage race. And we go into that in the show. And she's currently the head rider for Philip Dutton, who has won two Olympic team golds and an individual bronze. And we all know that getting to surround ourselves with important people and people who can really help mentor us 
can help us be the best. So it's pretty cool that she's working with him and he's very well known in the equestrian world. She goes over huge jumps with her horse and trains horses herself. She also has her own podcast called The Whole Equestrian that is a wellness podcast for equestrians covering topics like mindset, fitness, nutrition, and community. So pretty probably similar topics to this show, but geared towards equestrians. I was really interested to learn about how Emily deals with nerves and exudes confidence because you're riding a huge animal that can pick up on your emotions. And that's quite a bit different from riding a bicycle, which is an inanimate object, although sometimes it feels like it has a life of its own. And we talked about some of her techniques on how to relax, what three-day eventing actually is, the pressure of having an audience watch you while you perform, what it's like going over those huge jumps on a horse and the type of risk that you have to take, the trusting relationship you have to have between human and horse, and the world of self-promotion and sponsorship in the equestrian world. We also talked about how she eats a plant-based diet and how that helps her as an equestrian. And the last thing you might find interesting is we talked about what to do when you encounter a horse on the trail, because not everybody is familiar with how horses respond. And I thought that this was also really interesting. She is based in the Philadelphia area. So go to her Facebook. It's Emily Hamill Eventing, and that is in the show notes. And also check out her podcast. And you can probably connect with her in person. You could see her ride. I think that'd be super cool. All right, let's get into our chat. Here is Emily Hamill. I have never had a professional equestrian on the show, so welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. It's really an honor. I'm like an avid listener of your podcast, so this is great. Uh, It's a huge honor for me. Like It was so awesome to get an email from you. And for the listeners, if you don't follow the Moxie and Grit social media account, we posted up her picture, but Emily emailed me telling me how she listens to the show, but she bought one of the Moxie and Grit jerseys for riding her horse, so... That was pretty awesome. And then I got to hear a little bit more about you. And I thought, you know what, this would be a really awesome podcast we could record. (laughs) Well, cool. I'm yeah, I'm looking forward to this. So So here's a disclaimer for you. And also, I apologize in advance to people in the audience who are really familiar with horses. I have like zero experience. So I'm going to sound really I might use like really like wrong terminology. And I'll probably sound like the people who don't know anything about mountain biking and then (laughs) say things that are kind of cute, but kind of funny at the same time. So I apologize. (laughs) That's okay. I'll find it entertaining and I will guide you as much as I can. So awesome. Yeah. I've, I've always been really intrigued by horses. I admit that I've actually never ridden one except for like when you're in Girl Scouts in elementary school. Right. Well, that counts still, you know, Yeah. And like one thing I want to get into in a bit is a lot of times mountain bikers see them on the trail. We see you guys and learning how to handle that interaction, I think, is also super important. So we can talk about that later. But that'll be a great question. How did you get into this? So I started riding. I took my first riding lesson when I was eight. My stepmom actually she grew up kind of riding horses in Manhattan in Central Park, which sounds amazing. So she took me to my first riding lesson and long story short, like I was just hooked. And then I went home and started taking regular riding lessons, eventually got my own horse. And then it just kind of snowballed into where I am today. What kind of stuff do they teach you in a riding lesson? It depends. I mean, on the style of riding, there's like English riding and Western riding, just to make it real straightforward and simple. English is more like the saddle smaller and it's for jumping and 
that sort of thing where Western is like the bigger saddle with the horn and you can think more like cowboy style. So anyway, but in beginning riding lessons, like they're just teaching you the basics, like how to stop the horse, how to make them go, how to turn all of that. And then, you know, just basic position things. And then obviously the more you learn and the more you get into it, there is a lot more technical things, but that's how you start. Yeah. And you sent me some pictures and yeah, you said you do epic shit on your horse and you definitely do. There's like (laughs) pictures of you jumping like these huge barriers. And for somebody who's never ridden a horse, like to get to that point, I imagine would take a lot of work and a lot of ability to trust the animal. So can you talk about like for people who have never ridden a horse, like what that relationship is (laughs) like, like with a living animal that you're riding and having to trust? Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Every horse is obviously different. And different horses suit different riders and all of that. But at the end of the day, you really do have to develop a partnership with your horse, especially if you're doing what I do, which is three-day eventing. There's um, lots of disciplines when it comes to equestrian sport. But yeah, what I do is basically like a horse triathlon and there's three different phases. And But the kind of scariest phase would be the cross country, which is what you were talking about in the pictures, like jumping big, solid obstacles. And I really enjoy being around the horses, not just riding them, but in the barn. And they all have funny, cute little personalities. And obviously they're they're big animals. So you have to be assertive, but you also want to be kind, you know, and so that you can develop that trust and partnership. And like, Whenever you get your horse, do you buy the horse pre-trained or do you get like a green horse where you have to actually train it to jump? It depends. I mean, you can buy it any which way. So, you know, I've had horses that I've gotten as like young horses that needed to be broke. So basically like training them how to be under saddle and be ridden. My current horse, Barry, the gray horse that I've sent you pictures of, I bought him and he was relatively trained like he had gone up the levels through prelim which is like kind of a mid-level of the sport I do and then I've now taken him up through the advanced level so I had to put the finishing touches on and kind of work the last bits to get him there so So. how do you actually break a horse and I mean you have to ride them while you're teaching them how to do all these things so there's I'm sure like you've fallen off horses or horses have thrown you off like what is that whole thing like? Because for me, that, that seems like so crazy to get on this like huge <laughs> animal with a mind of its own and then try and make it do things. Yeah. Well, it takes a lot of experience and practice. But when you're breaking a horse, like it's really all about your initial groundwork and kind of creating, again, that bond on the ground and teaching them to do things like move away from pressure and give to pressure and just some basic things so that when you do go to actually get on the horse, they understand. And like you start, you don't just throw a saddle on and get on, you know, it's kind of a process. You start by putting the saddle on and then, you know, you might lay across the saddle and, and then eventually a couple of days later after they've done that a few times and they realize that's okay, then you can actually get on the horse. I mean, you definitely want to do it in a safe environment and with supervision because it can be dangerous. But usually if you put in the early work and they have a good personality and attitude, it's usually pretty safe. So, 
And I got a dog in the last year and I've spent a lot of time learning about how to train dogs and like how dogs respond in the pack and how you have to be the pack leader. So like, how do you make sure the horse knows that you're the boss? Again, it's just being assertive and also being confident. Like they definitely can pick up on your energy. So if you're very nervous about doing something, chances are they're going to get a little nervous about it as well. So sometimes you do have to fake it a bit till you make it because some of the stuff is scary, like the big jumps that I jump when I'm going out there. You know, I'm a little bit nervous, but I need to just kind of dig deep and be confident and give my horse that bit of courage to help get it done. And how do you do that? Because it's the same in mountain biking. Like you need to be confident if you're going to go off of a jump and if you're having yeah. doubts, you, you get tight and th- like the bike is, is an inanimate object, but it affects the way that you ride and it affects your body language. And ultimately it affects the way you land the jump. So how do you project that, especially when there's like a sensing animal, like can't it sense it if you're faking it? And or do you have <laughs> to like convince yourself that you're not afraid? I mean, like for me, at least I just, remind myself that I've put in the the time and effort and training and like I'm capable and, you know, just some positive self-talk basically. And then usually that kind of creates the effect that I'm looking for. But yeah, the body language thing too. I do a lot of meditation and mindfulness and that helps a lot with that. And if I feel tension, just kind of breathing into that. And then because the horses can definitely sense if you're tight in your body, especially like in your hips or in your elbows, they can feel that. So if I feel myself getting nervous, I just try to like breathe into those places or anywhere that I'm feeling that tension. And that usually will transfer to the horse as well. And on competition day, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of nerves there. Do you use those same techniques so that you don't feel anxious about the competition? Yeah. I definitely, I do that. Like before I go in the ring or before I go out on course, you know, I'll I'll take a minute, kind of get my mind in the right spot, take a couple deep breaths. And that usually does the trick. That's really cool. So can you speak more specifically about what three-day eventing is? Because that was the first time I ever heard of it. And I'm sure a lot of people haven't heard of it. Right. Like I said before, it's kind of, I'm just going to give you kind of the quick version of it, but it's, three phases. So the first phase is dressage. And that's basically testing your horse's rideability and kind of how they listen to your aid. So you're basically you go into the set arena, which is 20 meters by 60 meters. And it's like, there's boards around it so that you know exactly where you are. And then there's different letters where you have to do different movements. And so then you're judged on each movement and how you execute it. And, you know, there's things that the judges are looking for, you know, relaxation in the horse, the responsiveness, the suppleness, all of that. And like also how you do as a rider. So all of these things you get scored on basically. And then eventing is like the overall score is based on penalties. So you want to have the lowest penalties. It gets a little complicated, but say, in dressage, like the best score would be 100. And the penalty of that would be zero. And so but 100, nobody gets 100. Like a 70 is good in dressage. So then you would get like a 30 as your penalty mark. And then you build on that in the next 
or hopefully you don't build on that, I guess, because you want fewer penalties. So you take your score from dressage and then you go into the next phase, which is cross country. And that's basically like running and jumping across open fields and you do, you know, banks and ditches and water and some pretty big fences. So um, how big, like how many feet? At the advanced level, like they can be cross country can be pretty large, but they're around like four foot. And if there's brush on the fences, they can be another foot above that because you can technically like your horse can go through the brush. And then there can be drops of like up to six feet, which that's that's a pretty crazy feeling on a horse. And then the spread of the fences is actually also quite intimidating because that can be like up to six feet as well. So we're talking about some pretty massive obstacles. So and then how the scoring works in that is like, you're given a set course and at the advanced level, like I just had a competition this past weekend and the, I think there was maybe 25 numbered fences and then there can be combinations. So then there's like added fences to that, but the course was about two and a half miles. And so it took us like the optimum time was six and a half minutes, but at the, if you do a long format, it can go up to 10 minutes and be like, you know, three and a half ish miles. But anyway, so you're scored on that if you have a problem at a fence. So if your horse stops or runs out, basically is disobedient and doesn't go where it's supposed to, then you get penalized. And then you're also scored, I guess, on your time. So you want to try to make it in the optimum time. And if you go over that, then you get points. For every second you're over. And then the third phase is show jumping. And that probably a lot of people are familiar with that. That's like in the arena with big colorful fences and then rails that can fall down. So like the cross country jumps, they're all solid. They're not falling down. But the show jumping, it's more on, again, that rideability and making sure your horse can like come back to you after just having galloped across the country and still be careful and jump clean. So that phase is scored on if you knock a rail, then you get points added to your score. Or if your horse, again, like has a disobedience and stops or runs out. And then you're also scored on your time. So again, there's like an optimum time, if that makes sense. I hope that was a a good enough breakdown for you. But that's the gist of three-day eventing. I actually went on YouTube and looked up cross country and saw like videos of horses just stopping and not going over the jumps. Can you sense when the horse is about to do that? Or like, because I imagine you're you're going at speed and then you're just stopped and it'd be hard not to fall off. Yeah. I mean, usually you're going to get a feeling. I mean, some horses will dirty stop and like you're just going and they will slam on the brakes. But typically you can feel that there's going to be a problem a couple strides out. And then also certain horses have like fences that they don't like, like maybe one horse doesn't like a ditch. And so you know that you're going to have to ride that fence a little bit differently or be prepared for them to start to back off of it. But yeah, it's definitely, it's a feel thing. You can, if you're in tune with your horse and you know it well enough, like you should be able to feel that it's coming before it happens. And I imagine like after all the training and work you put in when the horse just stops like that, 
in the middle of the competition and you still have more jumps to do, you actually probably get thrown off a little bit or get frustrated with the horse at times. And then you have to be able to keep going. So what do you do in a situation like that to shake it off? Well, you try to just think about what's coming next, which is easier said than done. You've talked about this before on one of your shows about thought labeling. That helps me. Like if I make a mistake on course and I just go, okay, mistake. And then I try to let that go and move on to the next. Cause like you really have to stay present if you're stuck with what you did wrong earlier, like it, you're just not going to ride well in the moment. So, and sometimes it's hard to get out of that mindset and you can't, I actually had kind of a similar situation happen earlier this year. It just like, I made a little mistake on course and then I just couldn't get over it. And then it was not our day, but then luckily I did my homework and then the next competition was great, but it's, you know, just have to work at it. Do people ever like blame the horse? Cause I hear you taking responsibility saying that you made mistakes, but do people say like, Oh, it was my horse. Yeah. People definitely do that. But, you know, I'm kind of of the mentality that we're of the higher intelligence, so (laughs) we should probably (laughs) take responsibility. You know, there are usually if a horse is truly being bad, they either don't understand or, you know, maybe they have a pain issue going on. There's usually a reason like horses are very genuine, loving, good natured creatures. So if there's really an issue I personally believe that, you know, you might want to look into possible things that could cause it. What are some other sports psychology things you've had to overcome or just continually work on? I would say, I mean, what we talked about are, you know, that's kind of the the biggest thing. But I guess another part kind of along the sports psychology line, but is being confident enough in myself and being able to promote myself because in this sport and I'm sure in any like competitive sport where you're trying to make a career, like you have to promote yourself so that you can get the sponsors and get like in our sport, we have owners for the horses. I struggle with that. And that's definitely a work in progress. Just, you know, believing in my ability enough to then ask people to back me and believe in that as well. So, And what does the sponsorship look like? Like in mountain biking, I know what it looks like, but what does it look like for you? It can, you know, be a variety of things. Common sponsorship things would be like a saddle sponsor. I'm sponsored by Antares. So they supply me with my saddles for the horses, which is a huge help because that is quite an expensive piece of equipment. I mean, there's sponsors for pretty much everything. There's a lot of equipment that goes into our sport. So, you know, the clothes that I wear, the boots that my horse wears, the saddle pads, supplements that the horses get, feed that the horses get. And it kind of varies with what company you're working with. You know, sometimes you'll get a full sponsorship where they give you the products, plus, you know, they'll pay you X amount. Or sometimes, like if you're an up-and-coming rider, they'll just give you discounts on the products or give you some free product. And then, you know, as you progress, they'll, they'll kind of build on that sponsorship. And like, what is the expectation? Like, is it that you win? Is it that you like, 
teach clinics? Like, what's the expectation? I guess that you believe in the product and try to promote it. And, you know, it doesn't, winning is great for sure, but I like to teach lessons and I have some really good students. And so if I can kind of encourage them to look into the brands that I'm sponsored by, it helps them obviously get more people participating or buying into their brand. And then obviously they like shout outs on social media. And yeah, I think it's just kind of working together. You know, they help you, you help them. Everybody's happy. So, but yes, winning, winning is nice, but that's not the only way that you get sponsorships. And along the lines of sports psychology, I'm sure that uh, like if you go to competition and then you don't do as well as you had hoped, and then maybe it happens again and maybe again, you Mm -hmm. start losing your confidence in your ability or your confidence that you could do well again. Have you been in a situation like that? I mean, I've had situations like that, but I've also had some really good coaching. Like, so I work for Philip Dutton at the moment, who's an Olympic gold medalist and he's, he's amazing. He's a legend in our sport. So I've always had really good guidance. So if I have a bad run, you know, we'll, we'll figure out how to work through it. Or sometimes you move down a level in competition just to gain that confidence, do some like a little easier track, get your horse's confidence back up, get your confidence back up. And then when that goes well, you can move back up. I think it's really important to definitely have a coach of some sort to help guide you because, you know, you want to just try to avoid having too many bad outcomes because that is hard to get past. Can the horse tell the difference? I mean, it might be a dumb question, but can the horse tell the difference between practice and competition? I think so. I think most horses can. I know my horse certainly does. He's he's a bit of a show off. But yeah, I mean, the atmosphere, obviously at home, you know, it's a lot more laid back. But when you go to the big shows, especially, there's a lot of atmosphere. There's like, you know, all these horses in one place and there's tents everywhere and usually quite a few spectators. And, you know, so there's a lot going on and it kind of jazzes them up a little bit. So which can be helpful if your horse is a little lazy, it'll wake them up, but also can be a challenge if you have a hotter horse that gets overly excited. And you said in your email that you ride six to 10 horses six days a week. So you mentioned you have your horse Barry, but like, what are, Mm -hmm. like, why are you riding other horses or maybe you can't ride one horse that much in a week? Yeah. Like today I rode eight. And so I work for Philip, who I mentioned before, and he has a, a big operation. We have like 30 horses and they're all high performance horses. And so horses like that need to be in work six days a week. And obviously, Philip or I could not ride 30 horses a day. That would just that would make for an insanely long day. So, you know, we kind of break it up and we Philip and Philip does, you know, when he's around does the majority of the riding and then I help and ride what he can't. And then we have some other girls that'll do some of the exercise riding. So yeah, they do at the level of competing that we do, they do need full like six day a week work to stay at the proper fitness level that they need to be. 
And like we were talking about the horse's fitness level, but what about the rider's fitness level? Like are things that you need to do to stay fit? Like even flexibility, like as a cyclist, we're very two dimensional. So like the position of riding a horse, man, I think my hips would get really sore just from sitting in that position. Like, do you do a bunch of different things like core work or, or yoga, anything like that? I'm a big fan of yoga and Pilates for sure. I like the yoga just for the the stretching and lengthening, you know, the muscles because I get pretty tight from riding and like my hips are are quite tight. But then, you know, I really enjoy Pilates and that definitely helps with my core, which is important, especially in the dressage phase when you're having to do like these little movements to get your horse to do certain things. So, yeah. Those are kind of my go-tos for cross-training, but anyone that works in a barn is like a pretty active person because it's it's hard work working in a barn. You're like constantly on your feet if you're not riding, you're walking around. Like I usually get my 10,000 steps in before most people go to work. So there's a lot lot of fitness just in being at the barn if you are in like a, a serious program. But yeah, I do think that doing some other cross training is important as well. And how do you deal with burnout? Because this sounds like you're doing a lot of different things. You're riding different horses, you're competing, you're having to spend time specifically on your horse, and then you're also teaching people. How do you, and then cross training, and then uh, having sponsors, like there's a lot there. How do you balance all of that or even just make sure that you're taking enough downtime? Yeah. I am working on that. <laughs> it, it is challenging. You know, I only have one day off a week, most weeks. Obviously, there's, you know, I'll take a week long vacation here and there, which is great. And I try to really just relax and recover then. As far as like burnout, I've definitely had to deal with that. But what helps me actually is teaching other people. I don't know, like that kind of refreshes me and just makes me like, I don't know if that makes sense. But, you know, when I'm like not focusing on me, but I'm just trying to like help others, that always helps with the burnout. I I know that that's like another thing that you're doing and it's not technically rest. But for me, it like helps my mental state and keeps me going. Yeah, there's actually research about purpose, driving Mm -hmm. motivation. So if you're doing something bigger than you and also something where it makes you feel like fulfilled. It actually motivates you to do more and it gives you the ability to do more than you were doing before. So I think that's really cool. Yeah, I enjoy that part of it. So. All right. So let's talk about bikes and horses and manners. I don't know who, who taught me this, but like someone told me that when you see a horse, like actually take your sunglasses off and talk to it so it knows that you're a human <laughs> on the trail. So like what, what's the best way for people to like if they see a, a horse, like what should they do? Definitely slow down. And then, yeah, I mean, if you can just stop for a minute, like just talk to the rider, you know, and say, hey, or ask him about their horse just have a little conversation. Yeah. Then the horse will pick up on you. And most horses I'm assuming that would be out on the trail are pretty broke. They've seen their fair share of things. So hopefully they wouldn't spook too, too much at a bike, but yeah, I think just like slowing down, letting the horse and rider know that you're there. That's probably the biggest thing. So. 
And now I'm going to ask maybe an uncomfortable question, but as cyclists, uh, mountain bikers, like wilderness area in the U.S. is a lot of it is closed or almost all of it's closed to mountain bikers, but horses are yeah. allowed to go on the trails and like wilderness area thinks that bikes are damaging the trail. But I've been on trails a lot where people have taken their horses on the trail when it's been muddy and it's totally destroyed the trail. And then there's like horse poop everywhere. So, I mean... That's just my perspective, and it's kind of like a negative perspective. So I wanted to hear, like, your side, because I probably have some assumptions that are wrong, and that can help me maybe um, not be so frustrated by that. Yeah. I mean, I don't do much trail riding, but I could understand the horses taking their toll on the trail, especially if it is wet, because we we definitely have that issue, like, in cross-country, if it's rainy and you know, the first horse on course has pretty good footing, but then the 50th horse on course is running through mud and, you know, it's just not ideal conditions. So I don't know. I feel like maybe I can see why you would be frustrated riding through that and horse poop is not fun to ride through, I'm sure. So I don't know. Like, I personally feel like maybe whoever has the trails or is in charge of that might want to think about asking the horses to stay off in certain kinds of weather. Obviously, you know, if the footing's good, go for it. But I also feel like people should kind of respect the trail enough, too, that if it's not looking good and you can tell you're tearing up the footing, hopefully they would choose not to go out there on that day. I don't know if that helps you at all. but <laughs> no, It's just interesting to hear a different perspective yeah. because... I'm always trying to think like, how's the hiker feeling or what are they thinking? Or like, what is the equestrian thinking? Cause we're all, it's a, all the trails are multi-use trails for the most part. And I think that it's important to build camaraderie and try to just like, even though you get the mountain biker gets frustrated because the traction and the, like how the trail is, is kind of like one of the most important things, but for like the equestrian or maybe the hiker, that's really not as important. So it's like yeah. trying to understand where the other trail users are coming from mentally and then being more empathetic to that because I'm lucky where I am. Like people are, are really generally very courteous, but there's lots of places where like hikers hate mountain bikers or equestrians hate mountain bikers. And it's, it's because the mountain bikers like zoom right by the hiker or like without slowing down and saying hello and making sure they're comfortable before you pass or like yeah. people like ripping by the horse on their bike and like spooking the horse. So like, it, I think it, we all have a responsibility just to make sure that we all can communicate well and try and understand like what the other person might be thinking or feeling on the trail. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it sounds like everybody needs to sit down and have a conversation, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. I want to ask you about injuries because mm -hmm. as an uneducated person in the horse world, like it seems like, man, you would get really messed up if you fell off a horse, but maybe not. Yeah. I mean, you definitely can. It, I've had my fair share of falls, you know, typically they're not too bad. And as you get better and your horse gets more trained, hopefully they don't happen very often, if at all. You know, I've been pretty lucky. I've had a few concussions. Not that I'm lucky to have concussions, but like I haven't had too serious of falls. You know, I've had a couple minor concussions, nothing major. And I broke my collarbone, which is a common injury for horseback riders. But those have all kind of healed and all good, nothing too terrible. But 
my biggest issue injury-wise actually happened this year. I tore a disc in my lower back, and um, that kept me out of the saddle for quite a while. Um, I had to get it injected, and that helped a lot. But that has probably been the worst injury that I've had. So you do take a bit of a beating just riding as much as I do because it's a lot of impact and a lot of constant movement on the horse. So, And how do you get your confidence back once you fall off the horse? Well, you know, you just get back on. <laughs> but again, it's like if you really have a bad fall and lose your confidence, take it back a step or two or three. Just go back to a level where you feel comfortable. And you may even have to ride a different horse. You know, like if you've had a really bad experience with one horse, maybe your first time back on, you get on something that's a little more docile and you can just enjoy the ride instead of being worried that you might fall off. I heard you say that you focus on eating like a vegetarian, trending towards a vegan diet. Yeah. What, uh, what inspired that change? Well, you actually inspired the change towards vegan. I've been a vegetarian for quite a while. And then, I don't know, I kind of had interest in going vegan, but like none of my friends are vegan, none of my family are vegan. But then I found your podcast, started listening. I was like, this sounds like a good way of life. You know, I like the idea behind it, you know, as far as like, the environmental impact, animal welfare, and also like the health benefits. So I kind of just started going more the vegan route. Although I do have a hard time calling myself a vegan because I have way too much leather in my life to be an actual vegan. <laughs> you know, you can't avoid that when it comes to riding. I would say when I'm at home, I'm like 99 to 100% vegan. And then it is a little hard when I travel for competitions and shows. I'm not perfect in that that matter. Then I kind of go more towards the vegetarian side. I try my best to be all plant-based, but when you're at a horse show for like 12 hours a day and they bring you food and it has a little bit of dairy in it and I'm starving, sometimes it happens, you know? And I just have to remind myself that I'm trying and uh, I will get back to the way I really want to be and anyway, work towards that. So, And I think that's a really great message because a lot of people think, well, I can't do it all the time, so I'm not going to do it at all. And or like, oh, I'm, I ate dairy, so I guess I'll just give up. And having that self-compassion and that like understanding of what your overall goal is, and it's not about being perfect. It's just about like being healthier or like making better choices. I think that's really powerful to give yourself that like room to do that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you have to be kind to yourself. You know, you're doing your best, or at least I hope we're all trying to do our best. So yeah, like the vegetarian thing, did that come up because you rode horses? Or is that from something else? You know, I am a big animal fan. So I've never really been into meat. Plus, I don't actually really like it anyway. So it's just kind of been a natural fit for me. But then the more I learned about some of the you know, commercial food processing and whatever I was, that's also what kind of pushed me towards going without animal products. Cool. If people want to learn more about you or more about eventing, where can they do that? I am on Facebook and Instagram. I guess 
Hamill Eventing is my Instagram. And then on Facebook, it's Emily Hamill Eventing. And you can learn more about three-day eventing by Googling. <laughs> There's a lot of information out there. Probably the best source would be the useventing.com. That's like our official group basically that runs the events in this country so and there's a lot of good information on there yeah so I think that's a good place to start awesome well thanks for coming on the show I found it really interesting to learn more about what you do and also I enjoyed a lot of the similarities I think in a lot of sports and even like people just taking on challenges there's a lot of similarities and hearing how they're applied is just super fun yeah well this has been great so thank you so much for the opportunity cool All right. Well, those of you listening, make sure you reach out to Emily if you're interested in learning more and check out her social media. All right. Thank you. That was really fascinating to hear about a different sport. And I am actually a little bit afraid of riding horses. I've actually never done it except for, you know, when you're in Girl Scouts on horseback riding things. So I was really fascinated to learn more about what it's actually like to ride an animal, to go over these huge jumps and how the life of a professional equestrian is and how to compare that to bike racing. A lot of people that ride bikes also have ridden horses in their past, it seems. And my husband is actually one of those. So yeah, this was actually really cool and a really neat opportunity to get to do something different and hear from Emily Hamill. Make sure you check out her Instagram, check out her podcast, go to Emily Hamill Eventing and see what she is all about over there. If you're interested in plant-based stuff, you are more than welcome to join our free Facebook group, The Plant Power Tribe with Sonia Looney. All you have to do is go to Facebook and type it in and it's free, anyone can join. You don't have to be a vegan. You don't even have to wanna go plant-based. It's just about helping each other eat healthier and adding in more plants. Now, if you haven't picked it up already, I have a cookbook that I've published called the Plant Power Tribe Cookbook. It's an ebook and it's available at moxieandgrit.com. And here's a spoiler alert. I am working on a second edition of this cookbook with a bunch of added recipes. That is gonna actually be something you can buy on Amazon and is gonna be a hard copy. It's still gonna be quite some time before that's ready and there's gonna be a lot of different recipes compared to the one that is on moxieandgrit.com. So if you wanna get started, you want some easy, quick, healthy meals, go to moxieandgrit.com and pick up the Plant Power Tribe cookbook. It's all made by yours truly, including the photography. So I'm excited to hear what you guys think and I've gotten nothing but positive feedback about my cookbook. Really appreciate you guys listening to the show and supporting my work. I couldn't do this without you. I love you guys. Wishing you all the best success in your training and adventures and we'll see you back here next week.